Welcome to the Light Pod, brought to you by LightEye, a hub for ideas, education, and well, a little bit of entertainment when it comes to architectural lighting. I'm your host, Sam Corbel, and today I'm in downtown Los Angeles at the Design Workshop office, sitting here with Patrick Quigley, the Director of Lighting Design for DWLA. Patrick, welcome to the podcast. How are things going? Thank you, Sam. It's great to be here. Fun to talk about lighting. You know, talking about lighting is is definitely probably a hobby of mine. I might even call it a passion of mine, and I might even be in the business of talking about lighting, talking about the stories behind lighting and, and who people are and what they do. I've had an amazing opportunity to catch up with you today to learn a little bit more about how you've shared over 35 years of passion in this industry being a design professional. But before we dive into you know, where you're at today and everything that you've learned that you're going to share in 18 minutes with us, who is Patrick? How did you get your start in lighting? And tell us a little bit more about your passion. Love to. Passion is the word. I would describe myself, Sam, as a craftsman first. I strive to know the tools and how to use them and how to create an environment, a nighttime environment that is motivating one way or another. And doing so allows me the opportunity to, I guess, drink from the cup that I most want to, which is the passion and artfulness of architects, interior designers, landscape architects. I love design of all stripes. The idea of being involved with a medium, lighting, that allows me to literally drink from all of those star designers, all those great designers, swill it around in my mouth a little bit like testing wine, spitting it back out again in a form that stretches the tangents of what my fellow designers have been exploring is just sublime to me. I want to hear and understand the branding and the marketing of the project. I want to hear and understand the forms and the lines, the aesthetic lines of the job. You know, there's no aspect of the project that doesn't really interest me and doesn't seep into the design that I have to spit back out again. You mentioned design is sublime. And there's many facets of design, all stripes of design that intrigue you. But take me back to the first time you got into this. What inspired you to take the dive to even explore this opportunity? Well, I would have to say that the first step had nothing to do with lighting. It had to do with a passion for skiing. I also truly enjoyed architecture even as a high schooler, you know. I was captivated by perceptual psychology. Those those two things had interest for me. But the motivator was snow. And there was a school that I found that was 30 minutes from really great Utah snow, University of Utah. And they had a credible, actually a good architecture department. And they actually had a perceptual psychology department. So I made tracks for Utah and found out after I got there, though I was in the architecture department, I soon found out that they had such a thing as independent majors. 
meaning that I could create whatever the heck I wanted to. I don't think many people have the opportunity today to create their own major. There's kind of a, a path for the education system. I know that when you were at the University of Utah, that was back in the 70s, you found this niche. You seemed to be almost like a trailblazer from the day you turned 18 and went to college. You were always looking for ways to access the creativity that was inside of you. You were looking for ways to not only harness what you were thinking, but put it into practice. You graduated from the University of Utah. I know you had a couple (laughs) interim uh, opportunities, but very shortly after that, there was a firm that was founded that was your design firm. Talk to me a little bit about what it was like to become a lighting designer and start to do literally everything from beginning to end, including mm-hmm. cleaning the toilets and locking the doors. Indeed. You know, I think you have to start on a conversation of that sort. You have to start with what's the motivation for beginning a firm? You know, what's the entrepreneurial notion that is going to light a fire under you and make it happen? I had wonderful work experiences with icons of the industry. I worked for Jules Horton for several years, and uh, even perhaps a more important mentor was Ray Grinald, who I considered at the time the finest lighting designer in the world. Still do, actually. They bequeathed something. Actually, Ray bequeathed a critical aspect that made me want to realize the potential that I had. But before we go down that tangent, talk to me a little bit about how light attracted you to start your own design practice and what it was like to be a sole operator and then grow it into something a little bit bigger. What I submersed myself in without getting to the point was that the tool, this secret ingredient of phototropism, was actually sort of a spur for doing it, you know, for going out and designing projects that I was in total control of. I wanted full control of every aspect of the lighting design and yearned for it to the point where that was the only thing I could think about and it spurred me on. As you've probably heard before, anybody who actually tries to pencil these things out, you know, we wouldn't have any new businesses. It's it's hard to figure out how these things are going to work. But if you've got enough passion for what you do, you can find a way. So I enjoyed going out on my own. I had the privilege of Ray Grinald shaking my hand and congratulating me for going out on my own, which was really meaningful, you know, to care so much about someone's approval, right? Absolutely. Uh, And tried to always remember that and give back in that same way to employees of mine that have started their own shops. But in going out on my own, I also, of course, suddenly realized that there were other legs holding up the stool, you know, my passion for design was one leg, but there was also administration to be done. There was also marketing to be done, you know, which were equally important. And I think it's clear to anybody who owns a business that if you favor one of those legs, you probably are going to have a difficult road ahead. And I really favored one of those legs. And I had 35 years of fairly difficult road in terms of of keeping the operation going, but I was able to. 
when when we talk a little bit more about those legs obviously you are the most passionate about design you are the most passionate about having control over the hierarchy the architecture of light in an outdoor environment in a landscape what do you think drove you to continuously go find those other legs on the stool and keep putting them back in to yeah. make sure that everything was up and running i had to find ways to do it. So on the marketing side, we recognized on some level that we could avoid cold calls if we were able to be involved with projects that deserved press. Because the one thing we knew was, and this is a comment about design in general, I guess, it is remarkable how many journals the field of architecture supports. It's rift with you know, I, I don't know, there's hundreds of architectural journals out there, way more than the, the number of architects would normally support, right? But at the time, this was before the web, of course, they were religiously consumed by every architect, you know? You'd go into an architectural office and there'd be, you know, 15 of those magazines on the coffee table. Well, it didn't take long to recognize that they were aware of whose work was getting published. And that in turn became the engine for trying to market the firm. And it kept me from having to do what I dreaded, which was calling people up and asking them if they needed my services. It's something I just didn't want to do. You know, it, that's an interesting piston to use and it works as long as you can keep the flow of projects coming, as, right? As long as you can keep firing off the pistons, yeah, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Talk to me a little bit more about those other legs, that yeah. running the business leg, that yeah. keeping all the people that are coming to work because they're equally as passionate as you are engaged. So that was the toughest for me was the business side, not the employee side. of That's the business side, too. But... I genuinely liked the people who worked for me. That was one of the pleasures of running my own place, right? I, I didn't have to choose somebody that I didn't think I could get along with. And it was typically a group decision, but I was a benevolent dictator. The final choice was mine, and I would choose folks that I honestly thought were matches, chemistry matches. So I enjoyed that, and I enjoyed teaching. We've hired, at the time, I think I hired maybe one or two people with experience over the length of a 35, 36 year firm. That's not many. Everybody else was educated at PBQA. We had a good reputation for the teaching side. And so we got great candidates from CU, Penn State and elsewhere. But there was a fatal flaw. And that is because I still doted on the design side it became pretty clear to anybody working there that if you were a project manager for Patrick and you cared about keeping your project on budget, you had a real problem on your hands. Patrick, you definitely were doing the lighting for the love of it. And you, you had the opportunity to make money on it, which is something you did. But talk to me a little bit more about that, Belly. A little bit, but uh, my main answer, honestly, was hiring good office managers who typically were one of the most well-paid people in the office uh, rather than you know the minimally paid individual that in many design offices they are uh, that's where i was willing to spend a, more bucks even if it was coming out of my pocket because they saved me principally from 
having to deal with the dollars on a day-to-day basis. But, you know, there was still the discomfort for me of dealing with that. You can't just avoid it. You know, there's folks who are paying you late, you know, and at what point does the office manager say, you know, Patrick, these guys aren't going to listen to me. You need to call them and ask them for this money. Well, that part was really brutal for me. Well, I think it's I think it's really cool that you you gave it everything you could for 35 years that you you balanced the stool, you put the pegs in there and you really did give so many people opportunities to come in and learn. I want to take a quick break and when we come back we'll dive in a little bit more to the honest behind the luck curtain of a designer running a shop for 35 years and then realizing you know what i think the best thing i can do is just stick to the design hey it's sam real quick the light pod is brought to you by light eye a hub for ideas education and well a little entertainment when it comes to architectural lighting they bring you fun to consume content like this podcast and short two minute videos. Check them out on the web. That's lytei.com. And welcome back. Over the break, we were catching up just a little bit more about what it was like when PBQA first started and how that evolved over 35 years. Patrick, talk to me just a little bit about that first job and and then we'll skirt on to what happened after that. You know, I think, Sam, that any budding entrepreneur has to have some luck on their side. And I had tons of luck. Let me think of all of the ways. This is the kind of concoction, I think, that somebody thinking of going out on their own needs to sort of consider. You know, do I have some of these things going for me? Well, what I had going for me was, one, I've already mentioned that the business side was not my strength. Well, I knew a firm that was about, you know, five or six people, that their principal was married to a office manager who was super overqualified to manage their firm, but she was married to the man, so that's what she did. They were looking not only for a co-tenant to help fill the space that they only half filled, but they also were looking for somebody who needed a project or an office manager to help manage the money flow and so forth. So I walked into a business environment that literally was custom made for me to start up. But more important than that is I started out with two clients, one of them, Gensler, which was not a slouch of a client even back then. And that was very fortunate. But also, literally, my very first job was with my brother, Rob Wellington Quigley, who's a fellow of the AIA, a revered architect, a Maybeck Award winner. He's something else. And the first project that he gave me on my own won us the first IALD Honor Award. So, you know, we started out of the gate with the highest accolades possible. Right out of the gate. Uh, (laughs) It's like you can't show up on a first date with 24 roses because you're just going to have to show up with 
25 the next one i mean <laughs> yeah. well, the bar is set well, that, high but that, i mean hopefully you got a rose garden right exactly and that part actually turned out well too because by getting out of the gate by having the kinds of references we had it didn't matter that we only had a couple of references they were good references and the first large job that we got in the first year of operation was a contract with Princess Cruise Lines to do three super cruise liners. So that was an unbelievable moment. So that's like three football fields, twice as long as a normal one, stacked 10 on top of each other. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> if, I, if, I do, if I do all the math, that's a lot of square footage. That's a lot of real estate to light. Let's take that luck that you had that obviously built a 35-year career and, and culminated into what ultimately led you to bring 60 to 70 people through your firm to build a reputation, to have exquisite design experience of 35 years. There's something that drove you to do that, to make it all possible, to make it happen that long. And then there was an opportunity or rather a time and point where you had to make a decision as to if you're going to continue that or what was next. That's true. So there's, as you would imagine, in bringing a close to a time-honored firm and one that I loved to my quick, put all my kids through college and everything else. How do you walk away from that? Well, you have to have very good reasons. And there were multiple good reasons. One is you had asked me offline about legacy and turning over the business to somebody else. Clearly a really crucial consideration. One that I had in the back of my mind, I would say, is that I would hand this over to somebody at some point in time. But I've also previously sort of explained the deck being stacked against that. The person who would want or need to take over a firm has to have a capability on the business side as well as the marketing side and design side. You have to be a three-legged beast. I would say that as lucky as I was to begin the firm, I was a bit unlucky on the legacy side because understandably from what I've mentioned before, I essentially chased away people who really knew the business side, could not get to know me and work for me, and not recognize that I was going to be a problem all the way through. You know, that there would never come a time that I was associated with the firm, that I wouldn't be harpooning it in favor of design. And so, you know, the three or four folks that came through that had those skills I think it dawned on them that they were better off being an entrepreneur than taking over what I had, you know, because I was going to stay involved. (laughs) That wasn't necessarily good news for making a buck. And further luck, and this is going to sound odd, this, this was good luck in its own way. My darling daughter was a trained lighting designer, came through my firm, and had all the tools to run an operation. But... She also had a love for children and for teaching. And she decided after about five years that she was gonna pursue another career, which was fantastic. As a dad, you can imagine that I was 
brimming with pride at that and still am uh, she made absolutely the right choice absolutely <laughs> hey here's lighting now run <laughs> well on some levels but you're going to be interviewing some folks out there who have absolutely done f- fine economically in lighting you can absolutely make a living a comfortable living in lighting design but to do so you need to be aware of those three legs you you just have to know that balance is involved in having a really healthy firm so when you look at that culmination the maybe ability to stick around and do it yourself but not really move on after 37 years you made the decision that pbqa would be archived that it would be present in the minds of all the people that come through it that the accolades would still be recognized but it would no longer be a functioning business and you made a transition what was that like mixed as you would imagine it took a lot to make me choose and it was the benefit of age. I think it's maturity that I know that I want to design till the day I die. I'm going to drop dead designing, but I became less and less tolerant of the two legs that I wasn't very fond of, you know? It's not that I hated either one. Like I say, I liked the employee side. I, I enjoyed some of the marketing side. I'll, I'll talk the ear off of anybody who wants to talk about lighting, but that doesn't necessarily translate to actually a marketing effort you know coordinated marketing effort and when you say you became less tolerant talk to me a little bit about how tolerance played into the time available to do those too well exactly so i literally found myself not willing to spend the time to build to go after money to market I wanted to spend the time that I had in a working day doing what I loved and what I was really good at. I was marginal at these other things. I was good at design. So it took three, four years of transition in my mind to deal with. I finally came to the conclusion that PBQA literally could not offer what I was looking for. As long as there was PBQA, I was going to be tied to those other two legs. So wait a second, let me get this right. Patrick started his own firm to be able to control everything, to do it all, to be crushing it, to be doing everything to the best of your ability, to have people, to enjoy those people you hired and worked with. And then all of a sudden, what you had created no longer fulfilled what it was you wanted to do. Did the business outgrow you or did you outgrow the business or was it just that it was time to remain dedicated to what you were truly passionate about? The latter. And it took, uh, interesting for me, uh, talking about what you have invested in coming back to aid you. My very first employee, a fellow by the name of Bruce Hostetter, became a terrific life coach. We stayed friends, uh, and I've stayed friends with almost all of my ex-employees, and Bruce was one who was very special to me. And I would talk to him about my thoughts and my worries about sticking with something that was becoming less satisfying to me when I wanted to spend the time I had doing only one thing. And he volunteered tons of his time to basically help me through it. So it was kind of a fun, serendipitous, circular (laughs) kind of thing. He ended up teaching me and it became clear with his help, it became more clear that I had the opportunity 
lay in the terrific design firms that I knew that really needed lighting design help, could afford it only on a few projects, you know, and that there were viable directions that, that I could take my career that just took me having the guts to, to do it, you know, to pull the trigger on something that had been around for that long, you know, and I'm really glad that I did. You're really glad that you did. I I'm, I know that Design Workshop is probably thrilled to have Patrick on staff as, as their headlighting guy to be able to really focus and just absolutely dominate from all angles the thought process behind how light affects the environment. What's it been like to be back in that seat and just doing that that sole task of lighting design? I'm, I'm loving it, first of all. Second... You know, it's not all the bed of roses, right? It's not like I can actually function as a lighting design principal for eight offices and not have some administrative role, you know, and some marketing role. But they are miniaturized compared to what I was doing. I I can really put most of my time where I want to. They design workshop is tremendously forward thinking and interested in teaching their cadre, you know, of designers. So I would say 20 to 25 percent of my time is actually teaching lighting design to landscape architects. And I love it. I've taught before at various places, but those are students that get one course and they're gone. You don't ever see them again. This is a situation where I can see the benefits. I can reap that. I can, that landscape architect that I'm talking with right now is going to have to suffer through me three more times this year, you know, on on different subject matter. But it's fun because you're injecting the passion of light into them. Who doesn't love teaching people about light? Patrick, I've got to ask, you've got a lifetime of experience uh, twice the lifetime of experience of maybe people aren't even listening to this. What advice would you give your 30-year-old self today? Well, let me see. The first one might be, and this is a correction to earlier in the podcast, the first might be to never mind that you have 30 additional units that you need to graduate. Go ahead and finish the course on Utah State History and uh, Algebra two. You know, so despite seven years in academia, didn't get the degree. <laughs> so, so, I go, would, so, so step one is go get your degree. Get your degree. It's a nuisance not to have it. I have plenty of great reason why I still won't go back and do those things because I'm liking what I'm doing too much. You know, when I found out about why I had not received a diploma, I was working. And I had already fallen deeply, madly in love with what I was doing. And there was not even a consideration of going back and trying to complete that. But for an entrepreneur, somebody starting a business, that that comes up because you get government jobs. You know, one of the first line items is, what school did you attend? You know, uh, what's your degree in? And, and then there's a lot of red tape and explaining to go. Yeah, through. exactly. It's a nuisance. What else would you tell your 30-year-old self? <laughs> um, besides that, I think I would coach myself to seriously consider partners early on. I felt 
like the reason for not having partners who could uphold the other two legs of the stool was really because I knew that I was free to decide in favor of design over staying on budget. That's not a reasonable position to take with a partner, you know? What's the business partner supposed to say to that? <laughs> you know? like, yeah, we don't want to be a partner here. Yeah. So, so, so bring- that's one thing is, is bringing on people, being willing to see it as that three-legged stool, which I was not willing to, and acknowledge it and get the talent that you need to do those things really well and make them full-fledged, you know, 33.3% partners. Absolutely. Patrick, this has been an amazing conversation. There's a lot in here. There's a lot of great advice, including how to balance a stool and stay passionate (laughs) about what it is you truly want to get up and go to work for every day. If people want to reach out, if they have questions or they'd like to chat with you more, what's the best way they can get in touch with you? You know, I'm absolutely willing to uh, have them feed my email, which is pquigley at designworkshop.com. Spell Quigley for us. That's Q-U-I-G-L-E-Y. Quigley at designworkshop.com. That's it. That's it. Patrick, thanks again so much for taking the time to catch up with us. I wish you a a great rest of the year in 2020. Uh, Keep that mask on, stay safe, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Sam. I appreciate it. See you.